risk return. It's a common phrase in business, but what does it mean in the context of large, highly complex organizations? What does it mean for places that employ diverse and widely dispersed workforces? And what does it mean for places that need to navigate realms where policies and laws aren't yet in place to guide them? And finally, what does it mean for places that need to stay attuned to changing attitudes in the market and sometimes need to do so very quickly? And so the question we ask ourselves today is, who is really managing both risk and return in an effective way? I'm Jason Wingard, and welcome to the Learn for Life podcast. The Learn for Life podcast, exploring the people, the skills, and the global forces driving change in our professional lives, with host Dr. Jason Wingard, Dean of the Columbia University School of Professional Studies. More and more organizations are learning how to quantify all risk in a practical way. The old adage, you can't manage what you don't measure, is always true. So those that don't make that shift to actually quantifying all risks are going to be at risk of you know, falling farther behind. Organizations that will succeed in the future will be those that adopt a robust enterprise risk management program aligned to a clear organizational strategy. And so today we'll be exploring this topic, enterprise risk management, an emerging field that is central to business and in the future will be increasingly vital in order to survive and to thrive in the world of work. With me to discuss this topic today is Sim Segal, fellow of the Society of Actuaries and academic director of the Master of Science in Enterprise Risk Management Program here at Columbia University. Welcome, Sim. Thank you, Dean Wingard. So Sim, when you think about the future of work, and how it's affecting sectors and industries worldwide, what do you see as the biggest upcoming shift that professionals at all stages of their careers should take note of? And you can frame your response in terms of both threats and opportunities. Well, it, you know, with the shift to data analytics, and that's going to be hugely important, we can't even see now the massive changes that that's going to read globally in all sectors. That's important. I think that there's a shift that's too far. In many areas, we're going to need to shift back to the human element for better projections of the future. Uh, studies have all shown the same thing. Projections of the future that involve both human element and machine-generated input are superior to machine-generated input alone. We know this. And for ERM, making a bigger risk-reward decisions, it's even more of an issue. I always say the only way to do anything of value is with and through other people. In a value-based enterprise risk management approach, which is what we teach here at Columbia, the combination of value-based management and enterprise risk management, we teach students how to effectively conduct some of the most challenging aspects of the work, which is interviews, interactions with other people. There's two sets. The first set of interviews is with the most senior leaders in the organization, the C-suite, the heads of the businesses, head of HR, head of IT, etc. The second layer of interviews is with subject matter experts. And without knowledge of how to really effectively conduct those interactions, organizations are going to make poor risk assessments, have a poor understanding of their risk-reward profile, and opportunities as well, and are at risk of being outflanked by competitors and making poor decisions, which is why, although this is a robust and technical master's degree on enterprise risk management, my favorite course is actually strategic communications for risk professionals, which I built specifically to train our students on the critical skills of how to interact effectively with others. And it's partly a competitive differentiator because a lot of technical professionals in the market, they're, they're undertaught these skills, even at some of the most popular business schools. I would say another shift that's taking place in enterprise risk management is that more and more organizations are learning how to quantify all risks, including strategic and operational risks, in a practical way. 
And most organizations are, are currently limiting their ERM programs to red, yellow, green, high, medium, and low qualitative treatments. And the old adage, you can't manage what you don't measure is always true. So, so those that don't make that shift to actually quantifying uh, all risks, we're gonna are gonna be at risk of you know falling farther behind also. But you asked Dean about uh, opportunities as well, and on the opportunity side, I would say that there's uh, a shift taking place to using enterprise risk management to actually enhance the strategic planning process. And that's unusual for, for the risk folks to get dealt into the strategy table, but, it, but it's happening for those that are using the correct approach. And that's what we're teaching here. So as an example, and this is what we do here at our school, right? It's practical. Our faculty are all in the market. This is not dusty theory. It's practical yes. folks bringing stuff that works right to our students. Uh, so as an example, you know, I'm also in the, in, in the market with my consulting firm. I had a client recently, uh, we were presenting the, the main upshots of the work and the CEO pulled me aside after the meeting and he said, Sam, he goes, I want you to understand how excited I am about this. He goes, I want you to know we will be using this for strategic planning and we're still working together to do just that. Yeah, absolutely. So you've given us a sense of the current skills landscape that ERM, Enterprise Risk Management, currently supports. What does risk management though look like? What does the work look like, say 10 years from now, 50 years from now? Ooh, uh-oh, I'm gonna be on record <laughs> of making these predictions. That's okay. right, you're a wise uh, sage. Well, it, no, it's a great question because it is an emerging field and what's happening now is gonna change. And that's what future work, we have to think down the road. So one, I would say regarding enterprise risk management, uh, thing that comes to mind is that chief risk officers that are enhancing their decision-making at the highest levels, including strategic planning. That would be 10 years. I think more and more of them will be doing that. But enterprise risk management is similar to risk management. It, like it, it sounds similar, but it's a world away. So risk management is more more granular, more, more narrow, more say market risk management or credit risk management or our infosec risk management enterprises across all of these, right? So, but even in a silo traditional risk management, Heads of these silo risk management areas will also be applying enterprise risk management, I believe in the value-based form that we're, we're teaching, that emerging technique, to enhance their decision-making. And there's, there's case studies of that. I, one I can share, because they've talked publicly about it, is that Twitter had hired uh, my firm to apply what we're teaching here, the value-based ERM approach, to just their InfoSec risk management. Now, I'm not an InfoSec expert. I'm an enterprise risk management expert, the whole framework, the process across all of them. But of course, I know a lot about this because every organization, this is in, in their, on their risk list. And, uh, but the project sponsor, I remember he was very young. He had, he had formerly been at Google. He had two patents already to his name, just in InfoSec. But just the power of applying these techniques, which is why I'm really excited for our students and graduates, the power of applying these techniques we're teaching, when we were done, the project sponsor said publicly that, their, that Twitter's InfoSec risk management was head and shoulders mm. above where it had been before. So I know there's CISOs out there that are all facing the same issues. How do we prioritize among all these different threats? Where do we, how do we make the business case for what we should mitigate and what not? And how do we ever draw a defensible line in the sand that we're going we're gonna to address these, these risks out to here and no further? And we answer those kinds of questions with, with our master's degree here. So that's pretty exciting. So I think that, that as we're training more and more people on this and we're the most successful program, we're getting people out there that are doing this in 10 years, I think will change that. It's already happening. Mm -hmm. You asked about 50 years. 50 so that's, years. that's a little harder. <laughs> of course, I hope I'm here to defend my, my, my I guess, <laughs> but uh, we'll hold so you to it. I would say all organizations, not just financial, will have a chief risk officer. It is more prominent to have a 
for office or in banks and insurance companies, maybe energy companies. Uh, but there'll be more and more of that. We are already seeing that. The YMCA, the largest charity in America, has also spoken publicly about uh, their work with value-based enterprise risk management with me. Also, government. Several years ago, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, came out with a paper. It was actually only the third time in the OECD's history that ministers from all the participating countries had signed this agreement, which made it what they call soft law, that they have to implement it. It was a three-year timeline. And what it essentially said was countries, at the country level, have to have good ERM. And I was invited to a, a discussion in Washington to talk about that at the time. It was really interesting. They knew that they weren't that sophisticated about it. They got to get better at it. And they were, they were doing this. And just two years ago, the Office of Management and Budget issued in the United States issued a circular letter, A-123, which essentially requires enterprise risk management, effectively requires enterprise risk management for executive government agencies and strongly encourages it for non-executive. So they're they're doing this. Uh, This is moving forward. Very recently, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, had made a campaign promise, and she's delivering on that, to make a chief risk officer uh, type of individual a cabinet-level role. Mm-hmm. And they called me to talk about that. It was kind of interesting that this is happening at all levels of government. I think eventually there will be a national chief risk officer, which is something that I've been advocating for. And I've uh, written a white paper on the subject of applying the value-based technique, which we, again, teach here to a country. And I had to, it was funded by three different risk organizations. I had to write it in a way that could apply to all countries with all the different goals. And so it was kind of an interesting uh, paper, but it's being looked at by people that are now sitting on committees that are thinking about moving in a direction of what I say may emerge to a national chief risk officer. I think one last thought I have about the 50 years is that the chief risk officer role might be absorbed into the strategic planning role. You know, we used to have quality officers, and we don't anymore because quality is part of everybody's job. It's just there. It's embedded. It's ingrained. It, and I think if ERM is successful the way I think it will be, the chief risk officer role is a natural role to merge into a strategic planning, head of strategic planning. And I, I already see some starting to merge these roles. I know of one that had both at the same time. And a lot of former heads of strategic planning are serving in chief risk officer roles. So we'll see how it plays out. But that's those are my guesses. So we certainly will. So if ERM does play out the way you predict in the next 10 years, it will have implications for students of the discipline. And so as I stated earlier, you lead the esteemed enterprise risk management program here at Columbia University. What do you think your students need to learn so that they will be equipped to succeed in the job market across these industries and at these companies, such as Twitter or Goldman Sachs or Time Inc. What do they need to learn to be successful in the way you think the market is going and the field is going in the next 10 years? Yeah, that's, that's, so that's a, that's a big question. I'll try to answer uh, in a couple of ways, I think. Let me, let me first take the part about the basic like elements, the core of what they need, the technical enterprise risk management and risk management skills. That's what I've been alluding to is that, that value-based approach that really brings together both the risk and return side of the equation. I think in the old, you know, you mentioned at the top that risk reward, right? That, who's doing it? And that's something that I think about is that risk reward people, it's the most common phrase in business, but who's actually doing it effectively? Most organizations they do reward is strategic planning, which always has that hockey stick of, you know, hey, we're going to grow fantastic. It's all going to be upside uh, for the future. 
And then the risk side is off to the side. It's always traditionally been all the bad things are going to happen. And the strategic planning folks say, well, your risk folks are always so negative. You're always looking at the downsides. What about the opportunities? And they're right. And the risk folks are saying, well, your strategic planning folks, you always have these optimistic projections. But are you sure you're going to get there? Do you know what's in your way? Do you know how to, how to increase your chances of succeeding that? And they're right. So actually, they both need each other. And I think bringing those together, the risk-reward side of the equation is what we do here. And so the value-based approach, I think, is the, the, the approach that's going to emerge successful. The other aspect of this that you mentioned was how to be successful in business with their careers. That The key to that, I think, is for technical professionals, we're typically undertrained in the human interaction skills. And I say this in my communications class. I say people often talk about the soft skills, right? And we teach. We teach robust quant skills. We teach robust ERM and risk skills. But people often say, well, you know, the soft skills, the people skills, the communication skills. And so I, I tell them, okay, here's how to think of soft skills. And I take out a lot of cash and I start flipping through it. I say it's soft like this is soft. Because if you look up at the top of any organization, the people that are there, they've got, they've got the technical as table stakes. What they have really strong is the, are these communication skills because it's undertaught. And it's, it, some people have an innate ability. Others just have understood it's important and gotten themselves trained on it. So this is what, why we're doing this. Uh, two of our seven core courses are communications related, managing human behavior in the organization and the strategic communications course I mentioned. Another course that's very interesting, a uh, very sexy course that we've introduced just recently, it's very popular, is uh, cognitive bias and enterprise risk management. So we're recognizing more and more the science behind how our mind works and how it interferes with sometimes our making the best decisions. So we also teach these uh, biases and ways to compensate for these biases. And I, I often say these skills, the, the difference in the lift that it's going to give the trajectory of your career will outpace all the others. Yes, you've got to get the technical. After that. We're going to give you that. No question about that. We've got the best methodologies and techniques and practical. Yes. And the lift that they're going to get, that trajectory. And some you know, technical professionals are like, well, you know, those folks over there, like marketing folks, they have the gift of gab. They're born with it. We're, we're born with different skills. Just give us a pass. Like, this is what we do well. And I, I think it's a persistent myth that these skills are not learnable. And it, 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 but it's not true. You can learn them. You just have to learn them by learning the theory, practicing them, and getting expert-led feedback, which is how we teach it. So I'm very excited for our students and our grads that that will be the biggest difference. And the feedback that I get from people, it's happening. So riffing on that then, successful leaders, they always want to stay ahead of the curve. That's for any trend, any activity that will be affecting their operations or the market. When it comes to risk management, what is your advice, because they're going to be coming to you now, what is your advice for those leaders who want to stay ahead of the curve with respect to risk? For me, it's, a, it's such a clear answer I, to that. I would say, I always say the same thing when I hear this kind of a question, invest in people. Right, invest in people. It's the single most rewarding thing that you'll do. I have always counted as my investment portfolio is made up of people. Is made up of those few times that I've had the opportunity to really make a difference in someone's career path. It is so rewarding, and that's what I, we're in Manhattan. One of our advantages, right? We have a lot of masters of the universe from Wall Street working here, and they all tell me the same thing. You know, helping a company is great, and they, they can buy and sell me a hundred times. But what they say is their favorite part of the week is when they come here and they're looking in someone's eyes and knowing they're giving them the skills that they need to change their career path and help their organizations. So you want to help your organization, invest in your people, send them here, develop them, and apply these techniques.
So you've done a good job of explaining to us and establishing the importance of this topic, both for students as well as for managers and organizations. And you've articulated the value proposition of your program, the program of Enterprise Risk Management here at Columbia University. So I'm going to give you a chance to plug a little bit more here directly. So when you're studying this topic, or if you're a company interested in either sending your employees or going to the best provider of enterprise risk management theory and practice, is Columbia the best? Is another place the best? Why is Columbia the Absolutely. best? Absolutely. So great question. Now, this is something I'm very passionate about. And it's very clear. I'm excited about it because we're so far in the lead. There's no one even close to us. And there's, there's a number of reasons for it. We have several unique aspects of our program. We really built it from the ground up for an enterprise risk management program. You'll see some others have sort of twisted or cobbled together things that were morphed from other places, and that's not really uh, as strong. Uh, but here's some specifics to answer your question. First is, we cover all aspects of enterprise risk management. You will see other programs maybe cover you know, risk identification, risk governance, a little bit of risk quantification. But we cover it all. We cover ERM infrastructure, which is risk governance and ERM frameworks, and all four of the ERM process cycle steps, which are repeated throughout every business cycle. So this is, and continuously. So first is risk identification. Then there's risk quantification. There's then risk decision-making, which is integrating ERM into not just mitigation decisions, but even more sexy is into strategic planning, strategic and tactical decisions and transactions. That's where we have that sort of a vacuum sound pulling their risk folks up in the organization, dealing them into the strategy table, which is all what we want to do. You know, We want to make the biggest, most powerful, positive impact we can make to our society and our organizations. And this is a way to do it. So that's one. It's enterprise risk management. It's supposed to be holistic and, and all encompassing. You better start out by including all aspects because you got to learn them all. And we provide that. Second, we cover all risks. If you look at some other programs, they, yeah, enterprise risk management. You look a couple clicks later, you find out, well, it's really just financial risk management. Not that it's not bad. It's good. It's good work. It's always going to be there. This is market, credit, credit risk, liquidity, economic risk, commodity price risk, FRM. That's great. It's not enterprise risk management. It's much broader as enterprise risk management and much more strategic. So there's others that are just insurance risk management or insurable risk management. There's others just operational risk management. We cover all risks. And it's really important because every industry study I've ever seen, including all my client work, including at insurance companies and banks, shows the same thing. Enterprise risks are, are the volatility items, both up or down volatility. They're big items. They're not the small minutiae. They're big items. And when you look at that, you'll find that if you were to draw a pie chart, two-thirds of the, of the enterprise risk management risks are strategic risks. It's really interesting. This is the risk that the strategy may not be developed correctly, that your ch our choice of a company of products and services to offer through what distribution channel, to what target markets will be profitable, what's our value prop, that those choices may have been some optimal, some risk. Or even more common, many risks are in the top uh, 20 to 30 key risks of companies, is strategic execution. Our strategy's fine, we may not be able to perfectly execute it in some areas. Or a competitor may attack us. Or regulation may get changed that ruins one of our markets. Or we may have governance issues or we have supply chain issues. These are the strategic risks. The next smallest chunk, about 20-something percent, is operational risk. So these are people-related risk, technology-related risk, not just cyber, but data integrity, capacity, innovation, reliability, and then process risk, and then disasters, either natural or man-made disasters. 
Uh, and, and then there's financial risk, which is the smallest piece of the pie, actually, in terms of the independent, not that it's unimportant, but in terms of the sheer number of independent things that can go wrong, there's way more strategic risk. And every study shows this. And when you talk to senior executives, they know this. But if you look at the more advanced organizations that are doing enterprise risk management, which is the banks and insurance companies, they're spending all or almost all of their quantitative energy just in financial risks. And they're giving like qualitative short shrift, like high, medium, and low, red, yellow, green to the operational. And they're virtually ignoring the strategic risks, which is two thirds. So it's like saying, wow, it's gonna rain. I go out and I roll up the windows in my car, but it's a convertible, I don't put the top up. It makes no sense. But this is the opportunity for our students that are learning how to deal with all risk. Because in the end of the day, executives, they don't care where risk comes from, they just don't want to miss their goals. We have to make plan. If we don't make plan, we're short of plan, we're in trouble. So so having a chief risk officer and staff that understand that, you can make everybody safer in their job, make them more likely to achieve their goals, keep their job and get paid. And when you do that in an organization, you make a lot of friends. So that's, that's, so that's very powerful. So that's the second aspect of, of why we're unique. The last one I'll mention, because there's many others too, is that we're practical. And this is what we do in the School of Professional Studies. We're born from this. This is where we come from. Scholar practitioner model, not dusty theory, where you blow off dust off a big, it's actual practitioners in the market, testing techniques and bringing them in, into the classroom that all or almost all of our faculty are currently in the market or have recently been in the market. So it's extremely practical. In addition, we give you the business communication skills that we've been talking a little bit about. We give you a Ferrari of an engine in terms of the techniques, but we also have to give you a transmission to translate that to advance your career on the ground. And that's the business communication skills. So that's the third aspect of our uniqueness. Okay. So it's been established the Enterprise Risk Management Program at the School of Professional Studies at Columbia University, hands down, the best program Absolutely. in the world. Absolutely. This is where you There's come. Not, no one's even close. This is where you come for advice. Nowhere, nowhere else to go. So, Sim, now we're going to take a question from Twitter. And those of you who are listening, you can find it by pulling up hashtag Talks at Columbia. That's Talks at, write out, A-T, Columbia. And the question reads, new technologies such as artificial intelligence, automation, and machine learning are dramatically impacting the world of work. Are you seeing an impact in risk management? It's interesting because that, how that question was phrased, because the truth is it is affecting risk management, but not enterprise risk management. So, so enterprise risk management is finding the, the top 20 to 30 threats, like in that range of an organization and opportunities. Risk management is more granular. It may be millions of things, thousands of things. For a machine learning and artificial intelligence to work, you need a huge amount of data and transactions to mine. You need to look at patterns and see patterns and figure things out. In enterprise risk management, it's a handful of very important movements. These have to be gotten from people, from these interviews we talked about earlier with uh, executives and then subject matter experts. So it won't change enterprise risk management as much if it's done the right way. But it definitely has a huge opportunity to, to affect our risk management, and some people are starting to apply that. But enterprise risk management itself will be a disruptor. Enterprise risk management can be applied to retail financial planning. In fact, we had a student in, uh, in my class uh, about a year ago who was in wealth management in one of the top firms. And in the value-based enterprise risk management course, we're teaching a new way to look at, at risk and to look at the risk-reward side of the equation, make better decisions. You're more on the efficient frontier when you can apply that. And when we got to the part right in the middle of the class, like in the middle of the entire semester, where we got to where we, I taught him, like, how do you actually quantify all the risk on a consistent basis to look at the overall volatility around our goals, even for individuals, uh, the wealth management that he does? He came up to me after class. He says, Sam, he goes, 
I feel like you just gave me the keys to the kingdom. I said, I did. Now, now, go, now go reinvent your field because you can do it. He can take it back to his firm and really do it completely differently and innovate. So that can be disruptive. It can also be applied to performance management. One example I give is balance scorecards. This is something that virtually all of the Fortune 1000 are doing, right? This is a way of evaluating people where you can look at, you look at their you know, the performance evaluation, maybe 50% is on your numbers, and then there's 10% on, you know, our clients happy, 10% on our staff happy, and other, these other softer ones. The invention of the balanced scorecard is ironic because it's fundamentally unbalanced because those weights are typically arbitrary. Enterprise risk management in a value-based sense can actually be used to recalibrate those so they're actually more effective. So how is then the industry responding to the applications of these techniques and technologies? Back to AI and ML, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yes, it will it will change mostly risk management. In fact, I just got approached by someone, I forget, somewhere, somewhere in Europe who's doing something pretty innovative, applying techniques, but more at the risk management level, not so much at, at enterprise risk management level. All right, Sim, my last question might be the hardest one we've had this afternoon. What's the riskiest thing you have ever done? Oh, me. Uh, and be honest. Ooh, uh, you know, I guess, you know, I, I guess I never thought of myself as a risk taker when I started out my life. I was more of a, you know, safe kind of guy. But looking back, I suppose I have made some bold decisions and people say, well, it's pretty risky of you, uh, you know, but risk and reward go together, right? So <laughs> I would, but I would have to say that the riskiest thing might have been to launch my consulting firm in the middle of the financial crisis, right? That was pretty risky, leaving a good paying job and just launching out on my own. And what happened though, that was about 10 years ago. So what happened though is I had developed the value-based enterprise risk management technique, which again, I think is, is leading. It's definitely changing methodologies. It's influenced, uh, in my opinion, is influenced ORSA. Uh, which is regulatory requirements driving insurance companies in the U.S., banks and insurance companies in Canada, et cetera. Uh, it's influenced the change a couple of years ago in COSO era, which is the most widely used methodology. They've, I would say, adopted certain elements of the value-based approach, which is the key is defining risk as anything that causes a change from strategic plan expectations, not just losses, up and down volatility around plan, and also looking at the risks by source, which is critical for correct projections. So I think it's worth it. I mean, you know, for me, it was, it was worth it because it gave birth to that methodology, which uh, then became the foundation of the master's degree that we developed here, which is now by far, again, it's a top program globally. We're certainly the largest. We have phenomenal faculty. And I just, it makes me very happy to know we're changing people's careers. We're enhancing enterprise risk management, risk management around the world. And I just, I just can't wait to see where it's going to go next. I can't either. Well, let's review. We've heard several key takeaways from you during this session. So keep me honest, I'll go through them. Number one thing that you said, organizations that don't emphasize the human element of their work do so at their own peril. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Number two, ERM, Enterprise Risk Management, is changing from focusing primarily on limiting downside risk exposure, which is just focusing on the potential negatives, Mm -hmm. to informing strategic decisions that can be creative, that can be forward-thinking, and can be aspirational. Absolutely true. That's the most common misconception is only downsides. Definitely absolutely. And then number three, ERM has the potential to disrupt many different fields of work. Yes. Well said. Well, Sim, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learn for Life podcast, part of the Thought Leadership series, Talks at Columbia, hosted by Dean Jason Wingard, the author of Learning to Succeed, Rethinking Corporate Education in a World of Unrelenting Change, and Learning for Life, 
how continuous education will keep us competitive in the global knowledge economy. We want to hear from you. Tweet your questions using the hashtag TalksAtColumbia and we'll answer them on future episodes. For more information about Talks at Columbia and the Columbia University School of Professional Studies, visit sps.columbia.edu.